Open mine eyes that I may see Glimpses of truth thou hast for me Open mine eyes, illumine me Spirit divine Love of my life, I am crying I am not dying, I am dancing Dancing along in the madness There is no sadness like to invite you to a soul-level encounter. Music has an incredible ability to proclaim the soul's language beyond what mere words can speak. That's what we seek as we invite our guests to share their song of the soul. You will hear the music that has charted the steps of their spiritual journey, that has provided a touchstone in the soul's dark night and sung the heart's awe and joy when come to the light. Over the next hour, you will be a witness and companion to our guests' spiritual path and sacred testimony. Welcome to Song of the Soul. guest today for Song of the Soul is Tom Nielsen. Actually, this is part one of my Song of the Soul visit with Tom Nielsen. He's got a lot of wonderful music that he's made himself. It covers a lot of the globe and a lot of his life. It's some wonderful music that takes a very serious look at the issues of the world, but Tom's music also cherishes the roots he comes from, the family that nurtured him, and the funny things he sees all around him in the world. Welcome, Tom, to Song of the Soul. Oh, thank you, Mark. Where are you joining me from? Where are you over there in Massachusetts? I'm somewhere? in western Massachusetts, uh, just south of Vermont. Just south of Vermont. Are you a lifelong a New Englander? No, I grew up on a small dairy farm in upstate New York, central New York, near uh, Cooperstown, Oneana, and Otsego County. Was that the family income uh, farm? Yeah, oh, it it was until we lost the farm, like so many other farmers lost them. Uh, my situation was a little different. My grandfather, it was a three-generation farm, and my my father split when I was three, and then my grandfather died six months later, so I grew up working on everybody else's farm, especially my uncle's. What were you raised religiously over there? I was raised in a small rural Methodist church where everyone, if they weren't a farmer, they had been farmers. It was a church built, let's see, oh, about 1860. We had an outhouse out back. We heated with wood year-round. I don't think they got an indoor toilet, a little cabinet, until about five years ago. 
if I can place it correctly, you probably came of age in the 1960s, right? That's right. And were you still living on the farm at that point? Or what kind of transition did you go through to get from living on the farm to being the wild folk musician that you are today? That's a good question. When we sold the land in the outbuildings, we stayed in that farmhouse, and we kept about six acres. I have often talked with my mom, not, well, now and then with my mom, about how my brother and I are so different, but she and I went to Florida back when I was seven years old, and that was my first experience with segregation, knowingly so, and all the whites only and coloreds here and, and so forth, and I remember she taking me to, we were in Florida, in Saras and uh, Clearwater, and I remember her taking me to a black neighborhood one day. I was shocked. I can, I still have this vivid memory. I, I didn't think there were any black people anywhere near me. And, you know, we crossed a street and there was this black community literally living in what I looked at as shacks. I think it was all my my mother's, I mean, she taught me about racism on the way down through South Carolina when I started seeing all these distinctions between what fountain and what bathroom and so forth you could use and language that was spoken in reference to different people because of the color of their skin and was told very clearly you know how wrong that was and so in a way that probably was a very vital piece in my life that the tender age of seven years old to begin understanding about the violence and the cruelty of racism and so I think I had that sensitivity as a kid even though when I was 17 and a senior in high school I still believed in uh, the United States as being in Vietnam and and doing the right thing it wasn't until I got to college and it didn't take me very long my freshman year in school to uh, again distinguish between the different types of students who were advocating and promoting different things, and I clearly, I found more interesting and more intelligent and more stimulating the the people who are working for the civil rights and for the anti-war and and how those two themes were linked together. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because we don't want to lose the music of that epoch in your life. Mm -hmm. Somehow you became a folk musician. How did you get there? Again, I started performing at the age of three. I got my music from my mom and from her dad. And When I was eight years old, I think I was singing in adult choirs. I was in musicals. I was, as a child, I was in community theater. I remember during community theater in the 60s, I heard my first Bob Dylan, and that was probably 64, 65. And still, though, when I, when I went to college, I was still uninformed, as it were. I, I didn't get off the farm very much. But I started writing folk music my freshman year in college when I was 17. I didn't play guitar yet, but I saw these other guys playing guitar who I felt weren't half as musical as I was, and I thought, if they can do it, I can do it. So I got a guitar for $20 with a hole in the end of it, started teaching myself to play, and began writing. And they were little love songs and, and so forth. But by the time graduation came around, I knew I wasn't going to NAM. I knew that by the time I was a sophomore. You know, headed for South America, took my guitar with me, and I started writing. And I performed, but I didn't perform as as a livelihood. I performed out of the joy of music and people wanting me to play my songs. 
But it wasn't until I got back, oh, from one of my trips, and I was in my uh, in my department in graduate school, and it was either Dave McCurry or Bonnie Mullenix said, you should meet this guy, Mark Lind, and I think the two of you should record your music. And so we did, and Mark and I recorded two albums together, and I was off. Then he and I split up, and I've been a solo act since then. So we're looking at since oh since the sixties and certainly nineteen seventy I've been writing what might be well folk music and started recording it about twenty years ago maybe. Can you pull out a song that talks about your early days, kind of the down home attitudes? I, that would be appropriate for your song of the soul. Well, I think that if I were to start with one, it would be the four lane highways and mobile home song because that's about the farm culture I grew up in. And how do you think about that culture at this point in your life? Positively, negatively? or Oh, it's it's who I am. My, those are my roots. I kind and of assume your family would have been pro-union, pro-farmer. It's interesting that my, my mom's dad, who I called Poppy, and he was anti-war. He was in World War One. He almost died of the flu, so he saw very little action. But he left New York City after Hiroshima and Nagasaki because he was just appalled at dropping the bomb on people, and he thought everyone was going to have nuclear weapons and one would be dropped on New York. But he, he became very, very anti-war, but he always voted Republican, maybe because Lincoln won the war. I don't know. But... I was raised on the Daily News by a mother who was teaching me about civil rights in the class system. So there's a lot of contradictions in what I was learning. My education became my mother's education, and it wasn't difficult once I started developing a a sense of the world and the globe and Vietnam and so forth. It wasn't difficult at all for her to make that leap also. So you started out pretty much from four-lane highways and mobile homes. Should we listen to that song? And If you would like to, that would be fine. Let's do it. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Tom Nilsson. Four o'clock in the afternoon The border collies call Martin's on his John Deere Monty's yelling his cabal Barn doors open up for Halsteins, each one knows her place. Catch your tail with dried manure, whisk across your face. Catch your tail with dried manure, whisk across your face. Music on the radio plays a country tune. Rhythm with the milking machines and sweeping with a broom. We put in hay till midnight so we could beat the rain. This farm is family, don't know no other name. This farm is family, don't know no other name. Then the government told us, get big or get out. Butts and nicks and got no clue what farming's all about Wall Street brokers raise the interest rates to make some dough Banker with our mortgages 
Banker with our mortgages, count what we owe. I watch our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes. The kids don't see no future and they're gone before they're grown. Can't imagine what the cost, how to measure what we've lost. When our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes Go to four-lane highways and mobile homes We brought the bulk tank and the corporation truck One by one the creameries in all the towns dried up GLF SO station and the general store and the DNH all and freight don't stop here anymore. DNH all and freight don't stop here anymore. I watch our fields go to four lane highways, mobile homes. The kids don't see no future and they're gone before they're grown. Can't imagine what the cost, how to measure what we've lost. When our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes, go to four-lane highways and mobile homes. Lover's Lane, where we used to go, to take a dip or hanging out or watch a campfire glow. There's posted signs in our face, don't these people know how to live in a place and not shut off the flow, don't let our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes. Parking lots and fast food spots and another banker's loan. Can't imagine what the cost, how to measure what we've lost. When our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes, go to four-lane highways and mobile homes. Late shift at the factory can farmer down There's milking cows and growing crops is full time all around Working hard to build a home is what these farming folk have known Till you find them in the sand hill cemetery ground Till you find them in the sand hill cemetery ground Don't let our fears go to four lanes Highways and mobile homes Shopping malls, can we stop the wall From taking what we own? Can't imagine what the cost How to measure what we've lost 
When our fields go to four-lane highways and mobile homes Go to four-lane highways and mobile homes people would say that Four Lane Highways falls into a country tune. And I've written uh, some songs now and then that have a bit of a, a country rhythm to it, and, and I suppose one might call them country, but to me it's all folk. My early training was all classical. I shouldn't say all. was uh, very, very much classical, and, and I have two solos on two vinyls that, gosh, one's from 1970. I did a lot of solo work, tenor solo work, and at uh, the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, I did some solo work there. But those days are gone by, but I still know The Messiah by heart probably, probably most all of Verdi's Requiem and a few other major works because I performed them so often, plus it was very natural for me just to to memorize a major work. It was, uh, it was something I had an affinity for, and I would perform them, always perform them without music. On your recordings, do you do almost always your own work, or what's the mix? Oh, it's by far mostly mine. I'm picking up one in my hand here, the maximum wage. It's, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, so eleven out of fourteen on that one are mine. And that, that could be average. Given that you've made probably hundreds of hundreds of songs. Have you had some great winners? I mean, I don't remember your name being on the top of charts with John Denver. But <laughs> well, I don't get much corporate sponsorship, <laughs> if that's what you're kind of leading to. I have won some awards, let's see, and in fact, very recently. I never entered songwriting contests, I think for that reason, because I, I felt that my songs don't, my, my songs get censored more than they get played on radio stations. I get censored. There, there are folk shows that won't even let me on in their studios. But I did apply because someone said you should apply to Kerrville Folk Festival, and I was a finalist there last year. I didn't even apply to just plain folks, but they had my CDs, and I won awards for uh, folk song for folk CD, and had an honorable mention for spoken word piece. And then most recently, I was winner of the South Florida Folk Festival down in Fort Lauderdale. For which song? That was the week reprise in four-lane highways and mobile homes. You mentioned that part of your coming of age there, I guess, was to leave the country during the Vietnam War. Now, you weren't in danger of being drafted or anything, were you? I think you probably survived through by a college deferment, that kind of thing. As long as I was in college, we back then we had our two S's, but where I went to school, if a guy flunked out, next thing we heard from him, he was at Fort Dix, 
they, they got picked up really quickly. In my case, they were coming out with the lottery. It was the spring of 70 was the first year of the lottery. And I had a fairly high number, but I had already put into motions my plans to leave because I didn't trust that I wouldn't be drafted. You know, in the same way that recruiters get you into the Army and say you'll never be in combat and you'll get all this training and everything else, and then the next thing you know, you're over in Baghdad. Uh, I didn't trust that I wouldn't get drafted, and and I was ready to leave the States, and, and so I went. And I never did get drafted, but I was still gone from 70 to 74. And that, I feel, very much is where my education started. And another thing I'd say is, during Vietnam, I felt, and this even increased all the more when I left the country, that I had a lot more in common with farmers and working people around the world than I did with the Wall Street brokers who were making money off the war. You know, there was no decision at all about leaving. And, And leaving the country just made me even more fervent, my beliefs, around pacifism and and looking at globalization and the exploitation of of people's resources and their land and what they eat and what they're able to eat, what they're even able to grow. I mean, this is something we don't know in this country, the the total massive control that global corporations have over people in the world. And that's where these pockets of resistance come from. That's where these rebellions, that's where these revolts, that's where these struggles for liberation come from. I feel it often boils down to just people wanting to control a piece of land to survive, to put food in their stomachs and to see their children live beyond the age of five. And I'm not exaggerating at that when you look at some of the attrition rates in the world. It's not a matter of people, farmers in the world not knowing how to grow food and take care of their children. It's a matter of what they have access to, what type of land and what type of health care and, and and how many bombs are dropping on any one day or what oil company is polluting their environment. I mean, there's a lot of things that we don't hear about in this country. I mean, I could go on and on and on about this with the work that I've had in different countries like with the United Nations and so forth. The censorship of information around the world is its an abomination, what we're told and what's really happening. Well, in order not to uh, censor what you had to share with our audience, for your second Song of the Soul, you chose Dancing Shoes, which is about that period during the Vietnam War when you went down to Colombia. That's right. That was the song I wrote about leaving the country. Let's listen to it, and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about that. This is Dancing Shoes, and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Tom Nielsen. Spent my last night on the floor See you're better than a PhD No Texas town heading down the line 
barely took off my cap and gown Tin soldiers with flowers gone to kill Oh 
So, Tom, are you a real dancer, since you got those dancing shoes? Oh, I love to dance, Mark. What kind of dances do you do out there in Massachusetts? Well, I'm a contra dancer. I love ballroom dancing as well. I mean, in the 50s and 60s, we grew up with, my goodness, there was a, a new dance coming out every week, you know, mashed potatoes and the twist and the frog, and I, I can't, I didn't know how to do all those. I just... The swim, the hitchhiker. Yeah, knew how to rock and roll. I mean, that's what we did, partner dancing, you know, growing up and twirling your partner and... And now I, I love ballroom dancing, and that's the nice thing about contra dancing is you get to waltz, and I don't know if you did contra dance or not, or if how many people in your audience are, are are dancers. But I it's it's wonderfully aerobic, and you're dancing with people all night long. It's and a community event, yeah. Have you been to the Friends General Conference gathering ever? Well, I performed at the New England Friends General Conference gathering about ten years ago, and I performed in and I directed a play with music that was about uh, the war tax refusers action in Coleraine, Massachusetts when the feds tried to take away Randy Keeler and Betsy Corner's home. It appears to me that the cover for the Dancing Shoes CD must have been from that time. We're working for peace, not paying for war. It's right on the cover well, of that's the Dancing right, Shoes. That's right. That was the CD that came out after the Swords into Plowshares CD, which... Uh, was the one, all the songs and poetry on that came out of the action in Coleraine. The reason I mention the Friends General Conference gathering is because I've been going to those steadily for 24 years, and of course, every night there, basically, there's Contra Dancing Live, and so I'd get my share in there. And you didn't take part in that while you were part of the gathering? No, they didn't have Contra Dancing. Not true, not true. They haven't missed it since in the 24 years I've been there. Yeah. And, and they had counter-dancing. I guess I didn't stick around for it. <laughs> Next time. Now, in River Falls, they're going to counter-dance? You bet. Oh, well, boy, I, I'll be there. You're going to be here? The thing about that conference is it falls in right at the perfect time. I've had at least half a dozen people say you should write them to see if you can play music or do a show or something for them because, one, I'm a Quaker... Too, they think my music's, and I think also as well, you know, very relevant, and that's perfect timing. So I've just got an email off today, and we'll see, you know, what they think about that. You mentioned when you were talking about growing up that you went to college and you got educated, and then you said you educated your mom. Did she make transitions that way, the, the same way? Well, first of all, I didn't educate her. I think my mom has always been open to my experiences and what I have to say. I mean, she did her share of bringing me up and educating me. You know, I can remember going home and she being up till 5 or 6 in the morning typing my term papers at college, you know, and well, back in the days when you needed to know how to type without making mistakes, you know, on an old upright typewriter. She would do that for me, and, and in the course of reading all these papers, and we would, I've always been able to talk with her about everything. And when it came time to leave the country, you know, she understood completely why I was leaving. You know, subsequent to that, my trips to Nicaragua, Eritrea, going wherever, she has always supported all my political work. And as I say, she has made my experiences her experiences, my education her education, which is different from saying that I educated her. She has been very open to learning from what I bring back. What's her age now, and where is she in the world? She'll be 87 this fall. She's still playing organ in the church. 
she won the service award for from the Council on Aging a couple springs ago for the work that she does in the community. So she's still in the fast lane, you know. She's great. She's got her health. She still sings. We still sing together. I'm always doing a solo whenever I go back to her house. It's obligatory, although I would do it anyway, even if it weren't. I grew up singing in that church, and so I still do. That's the Methodist church that you grew yeah. up in. Yeah. What did she think of your transitions when you moved to being Quaker? Oh, that was that was nothing. I had never planned on becoming a, a member. I had never planned on becoming a friend. I got involved around 85, was. it was 1985, because the meeting house here in Leverett was the sanctuary for two Guatemalan refugees. I immediately jumped onto that and, and was part of the security team, which means I spent the nights with them and we had our whole protocol in case the immigration came and what we did, but there were always two of us with the refugees at all time. And it was in the meeting house, and I would eat breakfast there in the morning, and I became curious that this place, this program, this community of people is very solidly confronting, defying the government and hosting and protecting these two refugees. And I started attending, and next thing I knew, I was clerk of the educational component of the meeting. And one day, one of the uh, elders came up to me and put her arms around my neck, and she said, isn't it time you became a member of the meeting? (laughs) And so I thought, well, how could I say no to that? And I, geez, that was probably 12 years ago, maybe. So that was that process. Was it hard for you to give up a church, like the Methodist Church, you know, where you sing hymns? No, no, no. I I don't feel like I ever gave anything up. I don't feel that one is exclusive of the other. In both places, it's it's all about community to me. When I'm back in Unadilla, New York, at Sand Hill, New York, where the little church is, I feel these people all had a hand in raising me, the ones that are still alive, you know, because it's really, we're talking about 80, 90. We've even had a few centenarians. But is it hard for you to sit quiet for an hour? Oh, no, no, no. I In fact, I, I look forward to it. I love the silence. You know, some days I get there late, and I and rather than go in late, I'll just sit outside in the hallway in a chair and and enjoy the the silence by myself. And sometimes I even get a little disturbed when when the silence is broken, because I I I'm so into my meditative. You know, I I really like the silence, and I know that there are good messages and so forth, but I I don't allow myself enough quiet time. Because I just I'm a workaholic. Yeah. So I think you've written uh, for your, and chosen for a song of soul, a song that you wrote for your mother. When did you write this, and what's it about? I mean, it, it sounds like she's clearly one of the probably the first influence in your life. Let's see. She was turning seventy-five, and she came up for the birthday. Well, she didn't know. I mean, she just came up for a visit, and it was before her birthday. And I was playing at a cabaret, and so I had arranged with people at the venue to come out with a cake. And so after my first song, they cut the lights and they came out with a cake for it. It was really great. It was it was a lot of fun. My son was four years old at the time and trying to keep his hands off the cake. And he had him keep a secret because he knew it was going to happen. But yeah, she was my first teacher. Um, she taught me the joy of music and, you know, a lot of other things. And so I uh, it was very easy to write that song for. Born with the coal dust in your hair, from a 
West Virginia mine Born with franchise in the air From women on the line Your daddy was a traveling man And when depression hit the land Was glad to have any job he could find Poppy was shocked by the nuclear bomb Left the city and you bought the farm Two kids and five years later you're a single mom Working on cars and playing baseball Always there to answer the call Eleven bodies on the floor and a school bus in the yard You're still stacking my wood, pulling my weeds, singing my songs, planting those seeds to grow in the rain and the sunshine from above. You say a prayer for the dead, work for the living. You're seventy-five years of giving, you're seventy-five September's full of love. Mama, watch this little boy He's our honey, bunny, joy Walking through the rows of kale and corn The older I get, the more I see The more of you, you are in me Passing on to the children every morn You're still stacking my wood Pulling my weeds Singing those songs Planting those seeds to grow With the rain and the sunshine From above You say a prayer for the dead Work for the living You're seventy-five years of giving You're seventy-five September's full of love Freedom's in the milk I nursed at your breast Courage and faith help me do the rest Bone of my bone of your bone builds a family From Vietnam to that house in Coleraine My head cut open and stopping that train You're just getting better at three quarters of a century You're still stacking my wood Pulling my weeds Singing my songs Planting those seeds that grow With the rain and the sunshine From above You say a prayer for the dead Work for the living You're seventy-five years of giving You're seventy-five Septembers full of love Say a prayer for the dead Work for the living You're seventy-five years of giving You're seventy-five Septembers Full of love That song was called 75 Septembers of Love, and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul. My guest is Tom Nielsen, and I'm your host, Mark Helpsmeet. This is one of the Northern Spirit Radio programs called Song of the Soul. 
let's return to our interview with Tom Nielsen. When you were telling the story about singing the song for her, I was just thinking that it would have been the perfect natural thing for you to pull her up to the front, sing a duet for the audience with your mother. That would have been, that'd be perfect 75-year-old. Well, I tried to get her on. She's been up here more than once when I've been recording. But she always tells me that she's too old now, that she doesn't have the breath control, that the other people who do studio work with me are better, they have a stronger voice. I say, that's not the point. You know, I want you to be on the CD with me. But in the interest of professionalism, she said, no, it'll be a better CD if you have a stronger voice with more of a range. So I do have some recordings of, of her, some old cassettes of the two of us singing together. But no, she's will sing in church, but she won't get herself on the disc. Is folk music your full income, or do you supplement it with other kind of work? It's more and more my income every year. I work 20 hours a week with people with HIV, and I teach Spanish and music and coach basketball in two different schools part-time as well. So I have uh, four different jobs at the moment. So you really are a workaholic. I probably am. I probably am. I do know how to relax and have fun, but usually I'm reading something <laughs> when I'm doing it or, or, or producing something. It is hard for me to sit still and not be doing something. I know that the next song that you've chosen for your song of the soul is related to health care. Have you ever worked explicitly in health care? Is your work with AIDS, is that health care related stuff? Oh, yeah. I've been in the addictions field for probably about 15 years, but I came into it because of my languages. I saw an ad for a counselor in an alcoholism unit, but they needed someone who spoke Portuguese. So I said, well, I needed a job. I was about to start my master's work, and I worked in a trial while speaking Portuguese and Spanish as well as English in uh, this alcoholism unit. From there, just got into the... HIV and working with heroin addicts and sex workers, and I've been doing that for about 15 years now. What was your major in college, or what have you studied along the way? Do you have degrees in these kind of things? My undergraduate work was in history education. My master's is in counseling psychology. It's an MED, and my doctoral work is in international education from UMass. It's an EDD. You sound entirely overeducated. Great work that you've got to Well, tell me about A Public Place, which is the next song that you've chosen for your song of the soul. This, <laughs> A Public Place, originated from a letter to Ann Landers with someone complaining because they passed out, or I can't even remember exactly what happened, but they, they were taken to the hospital, and for some reason couldn't be seen, or, or, or I forget what it was, because they had no health care. Then they got this big bill from the ambulance. Or, or I, it's been so long, Mark, I can't remember, but that made me think, well, this sounds like a, a good song to do. And Bonnie Deutsch and Doug Bishop do the voices with me on it. I think this song is a takeoff on where my humor comes in to my music because I, I, this is not a parody, but I do a lot of parodies, 
and try to have fun. I mean, health care is a serious issue. People are dying all around the world because they don't have health care. We have over 40 million people without adequate health care coverage in this country. And as you play the song, this was written with uh, George I when he was president. Unfortunately, it's one of these songs that you could play right now, and it would be just as relevant. Let's listen to it. Okay. It's called A Public Place, and it's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Tom Nielsen. It was nine in the morning when the telephone rang. Collection agency was calling, and their collection gang. Hello? What? If you don't pay your bill, the attorney general will be annoyed. The attorney general? Are you for real? And your credit rating will be destroyed. Look, who is this really? Was I in charge of innocent or fraud, making loans to my friends? Did I buy a new car that was repossessed in the end? Did I bet that Clarence Thomas would be a credit to his race or his gender? No, the terrible truth is I fainted in a public place. Oh, Somebody call an ambulance! You see, someone called an ambulance, and to the hospital I went. I woke up in the ER, several hours spent. The admitting clerk looked aghast as if I had pestilence. Ugh. Don't touch him. When I said I had no job and worse, no insurance. No insurance? Oh, Preposterous. When I said I had no job, no insurance. Get this person out of here. When the doctor arrived, she asked who was the president. George Bush said I. She wrote her note and away she went. And the bill for all this health care is with an agency. And when I call for general assistance, they ignore me. for bombing in a public place and re- 
revoke his credit rating for bombing in a public place and revoke his credit rating for killing in a public place. You've reached the White House. All lines are busy right now. I've been trying to reach that guy all day. I think, Tom, that it's a good thing that you've got your children's album. I know the parodies you have on your different albums, but it sounds like you're terribly serious. You're really working on making this world a better place, which means you've got your work cut out for you. Why do you do your music? Is it just simply love of music, or is there a higher purpose to it? My music is in my marrow. I am filled with the joy of music. I am filled with the orchestration and the passion of music. And wherever in my life I came upon the choices that I have made to write the type of songs that I do, you know, I can't I can't imagine not writing what I do. I can't imagine not singing the songs that I do. There's an urgency that I could try and combine with a playfulness. There's a poignancy that I try and combine with a uh, a lightness, but I know I get furious with all the lying. I get furious with all the violence. I get furious with all the hurt. You know, when I say furious, you know, I mean, I think if someone isn't angry, they're not paying attention, but it's not that that anger is who I am or motivates me. I don't believe that about myself. I think I'm guided by a, a real deep concern for the human condition and that's what drives my music I love pointing out the hypocrisies or the ironies the uh, stupidities <laughs> you know the dishonesties and the fun things too I mean I, I just wrote a song that's on my new CD called Taking Up Smoking you know because of the computer glitch in Scotland where the uh Zyban, which is the treatment to help with smoking cessation, was what was supposed to be given to people who wanted to stop smoking. But the computer glitched for, for whatever reason. I don't understand computers. And people were getting doses of Viagra instead of Zyban. Now, if that's not song material, I don't know what is. It was one of the quickest songs I ever wrote. I suppose it's a statement on technology. <laughs> it's, it's a statement on smoking sort of in a cute way, I think. But I have a lot of fun with it. Well, speaking of smoking, and therefore of cancer, maybe this is a good time to talk about radiation, or radiation training. I have three songs about Yankee Row. Yankee is the oldest nuclear reactor in the country. It was built in 1951, and we shut it down back in 1993. I wrote what I call the trilogy, the Yankee Row Trilogy. Radiation Train was written when they were taking out the generators, I believe it was, this is 12, 14 years ago, the generators, which were the hottest piece of the reactor, and putting them on a train, and then taking the train down to sort of bury them in Barnwell, South Carolina, which is a, a really, really, really devastated community from the radiation, from the different radioactive components. Eleven of us got on this school bus, and we left ahead of the train, and we did press conferences and street theater all the way down to South Carolina, singing and doing stuff in railroad yards. But when you said about making the world a better place, 
you know, Mark, I'm just I'm just trying to have fun with my life and live my life in a way that when I look at it, my face in the mirror in the morning, I can I can do that. I just try and live it in as in as honest way as I can and raise my kid that way and 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 try and help other children that I work with to think and not just swallow everything down that they're told. You know, I I hope that what I'm doing has positive effects. I couldn't live with myself if I weren't doing this work. Your witness about radiation train was that kind of thing. You you couldn't not speak of it. Oh, you can't. I, I mean, how could anyone see what is going on? And the abject lies. Mark, the cancer rates in the Deerfield River Valley are way, way, way higher than other parts of the state of Massachusetts. And one of the types of cancer is a cancer caused by ionized radiation. And there are cases of that here in the Deerfield River Valley. The Deerfield is the river that the nuke flushed its waste into for all those 42 years. And when the state covers it up, when the Department of Public Health refuses to do an investigation into it, how can one not be ripped? How can, how can people sit still and look the other way? And I can't. I think we should play now one of okay. the pieces that you made to help raise awareness, to help try and prevent the ill health of a lot of people. The song is called The Radiation Train. Coming out of Yankee Row, 150 tons in tow, truck creeping down the road. 66 wheels turning around, the Geiger counters clicking out the sound of that radiation load.
That was Radiation Train. It's by my guest for today's Song of the Soul, Tom Nielsen. We have to take a break now, but we'll continue next week with Part 2 of my visit with Tom Nielsen. You can hear this program again via my website, northernspiritradio.org. And on that site, you can find helpful links, the list of the music on this program, a lot of good stuff. Song of the Soul is produced by Mark Helpsmeet. If you'd like to share your Song of the Soul with the listeners of WHYS-FM Radio, please contact me via my email address, helpsmeet at usa.net. That's H-E-L-P-S-M-E-E-T at USA dot N-E-T. And please join me Sundays at 11 a.m. for Song of the Soul. You can be happy, let in the light, it will heal you. And you can feel you and sing out a song of the soul. Ah.